0: And welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love looking for writing secrets. Like our podcast, we are a work in progress. I'm Leah, and I'm planning elaborate heists in my head instead of writing my book.
1: Ooh, I gotta get in on this. I didn't, probably not for the planning. I'm not sure I'd be useful for there, but if you, um, I'm actually not sure if there's any part of a heist I'd be useful for, but if you need enthusiasm i can bring a lot of enthusiasm to your heist i
0: think it's very important actually i don't think there are enough (laughs) enthusiastic support characters in heist novels like think about how much more the mastermind could get done if they just had like a golden retriever best friend
1: it's true and like all the but usually the heist characters everyone's like why am i doing this job and i'd be like i'm ready i'm here i showed up on time i can take notes yeah Um, yeah yeah that would be (laughs) you're like i don't (laughs) would change the whole heist dynamic it would
0: oh my god i actually kind of want to i think that would actually be a really fun book or like a short story like a piece of flash fiction the mastermind Mm. approaching someone it's like all right i have a mission for you i'm in you you don't want any details (laughs) no no
1: i'm in no i'm in let's do it sunshine and grumpy one but (laughs) heist. yes exactly i love it um i'm dana Uh, and this week I'm trying to find a more disciplined routine for writing again. Mm. I feel like I go back and forth between, like, really clear routines, feeling really helpful, and then suddenly feeling, like, the actual barrier to writing, and suddenly I'm like, no, I need to be really loosey-goosey about it to find that creativity, and then eventually that dries up, and I'm like, I need to go back to plans, and then the plans Mm. dry up, and it's all fine, but we're definitely in a hey. Maybe, maybe I should have like some affirmative, uh, you know, things to check off on a writing to do list. Mm-hmm. Maybe a timeline. I don't know. Some sort of structure might be helpful right about now.
0: Yeah, it's always, it's hard to find that balance, and I think there's for me. I think there's always a part of me when I'm doing one. I'm wondering if I should be doing the other. Um, Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you have, like, a pretty intuitive sense of when that's helpful. So maybe it's actually good and this is part of your process. This is all part of your process.
1: I feel like it is. It's definitely part of the process. It's still frustrating because I feel like the only way, like, yeah, I, I'm in tune with it, but I'm in tune with it because I'm like, boy, I haven't been writing. Hmm. Seems like whatever's <laughs> going on is not working. I need to try something new. Mm. Um, so there's still inevitably, like... It doesn't mean you just get to ride along the happy riding highs, or at least, you know, I have not. <laughs> but, oh,
0: I would love more of those, though.
1: It is nice. It, and I think a lot of times a lot of it is just, like, freeing yourself to be like, okay, great, this isn't working this week, new thing, mm-hmm. and, like, not beating yourself up about it. Because I, I used to do that a tremendous amount, and I feel like I've sort of greenlit to me, hey... it's actually really good to have like lots of strategies in the toolbox that you can pull out when suddenly you're like huh the thing that was super working for me for like a month just stopped working I don't know why this is how my brain does sometimes maybe let's just shake it up instead of being like why why did you stop why are Mm -hmm. you are you bad it's like "Eh, skip that
0: yeah I feel like the framing is like it's so important because you go from like thinking that having a lot of strategies somehow makes you defective to realizing that Mm -hmm. if you have all these strategies, you're actually, you know, you're being flexible, you're being adaptable, you're finding new ways to get around the issue. That's actually not a bad thing, but your brain is garbage. I mean, the general you, because I'm sure other people have this. um, I'm sure your brain is lovely, but also sometimes garbage. All
1: brains are. Sorry. (laughs) Brains do that. (laughs) They do the garbage thing sometimes. Sometimes
0: they're just, they're not about They're not, they're not the supportive golden retriever best friend that you want as a mastermind trying to plan your novel, you know?
1: Oh my God. What if the real sunshine and grumpy one all along was you and your brain? (laughs) Just you internally. You're like, all right, brain, let's do it. He's like, why should I? Nope. I
0: just retired. Leave me alone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Want me to come out of retirement to do more things? I don't
1: know about that. Nope.
0: (laughs) Oh, God, speaking of heists and people coming out of retirement and everything else, uh, this, <laughs> as you can tell, Dana's very excited because this time we did read Dana's pick. It's River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. And I do have a synopsis for us. So, in the early 20th century, the United States government concocted a plan to import hippopotamuses into the marshlands of Louisiana. To be bred and slaughtered as an alternative meat source this is a true thing this actually happened Um, and in sarah gailey's novel it goes beyond a plan and is actually executed and the result: hippo cowboys and a wild wild west filled with marshlands and territorial hippos that can snap a cowboy in two if they aren't careful winslow houndstooth is a hopper a hippo wrangler who originally came to the u.s to have his very own hippo ranch After his ranch is burned down, he spends his years with the only hippo that survived, carrying out dangerous missions and planning his revenge. When the government asks him to clear out a bayou overrun by feral hippos, one filled with all manner of mercenaries, cons, and wealthy criminals, Houndstooth sees another opportunity for revenge. This is the story of Houndstooth, (laughs) his crew, and the most dangerous caper, I mean, operation they faced yet. And while Houndstooth thinks he has masterminded the plan, the crew has their own reasons for being there and not all of them friendly.
1: I, a plus synopsis, incredible work. <laughs> thank, thank. We love to see it. <laughs> I loved inserting that little joke
0: reference in the middle that felt really good with the caper operation that was like a running gag. Wrote the book.
1: Absolutely. It would have have been, frankly, criminal to record this podcast without discussing the, yes, the constant and amusing refrain of everyone being like, hey, Houndstooth, why are we doing this caper? And he's like, no, not a caper. It's an (laughs) operation. I promise it's legit. (laughs) No, it takes me seriously. Why don't any of you believe me?
0: Anyway, this was your choice, and I'd love to hear more about
1: why you chose this novella and you know why this author Ugh, uh <laughs> there's so many good reasons and i mean look a part of it was also that i was just like boy it would be so much it would be so nice to reread that book again and what a lovely excuse to do so but i think that speaks to as well um the the reason that this is not uh You know, we've done flashbacks that are, like, books we enjoyed as kids. And this is a much more recent flashback, right? Like, I think River of Teeth came out in 2017, I want to say. Which is not... I mean, it's it's some time ago, but it's not that long ago compared to some of the other books that we've done flashbacks on. But I feel like, for me, it was a huge turning point in reading and in terms of, like, the way I was thinking about my writing. Mm -hmm. One in that... This was one of the first books in a while that when I read it was really not fantasy. I'd been reading a lot of very... I mean, we've talked a lot about these like very moody, uh, ethereal fantasies, and I love those. Those are so good. But this was me really sort of breaking out of that in terms of genre and thinking about like taking that and not feeling as caged into a particular genre for writing. Mm -hmm. And then I think also look whatever i love this book i would understand other people i guess not loving this book it i understand that other people have different wrong opinions and that's okay (laughs) um but i don't think there's any way you can deny that every single word of this book was written with just tremendous Mm -hmm. joy and delight and it was absolutely eye-opening from that perspective because there were actually plenty of things that as I read it, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. But did I care? Not yeah. remotely because I was having such a blast and it feels like you're having such a blast with the writer because you're like, you're having a good time. I'm having a good time. We're at the best like story party right now, you and me, author, reader. This is awesome. And it was, I don't know. I feel like I've maybe, I think we've talked before a little bit on the podcast about... Um, Something that I know I've I've struggled with for years of feeling like somehow I need to, as an author, cut myself out of Mm -hmm. my own writing. Like somehow it's not as good if I'm visibly there and visibly having a good time and really putting in all different pieces of myself. And this was one of the first books I read that was like, oh, all of that is nonsense. There's something that's just delightful about reading a book where... At every time, every time the writer had to make a choice, they chose the thing that delighted them the most. And realizing that that was a freedom I could have in my writing, too, in terms of coming up with ideas, playing with genre, character decisions, inserting tropes with just delightful abandon. It it really made reading a lot more fun and it made writing a lot more fun because it felt like it really just, like, knocked down all these bizarre walls I had constructed in my head for what good, professional, real writing looked yeah.
0: like. God, I I didn't know that this book, like, I knew that you loved Sarah Gailey, but I didn't know that this book was so transformative for you and the way you thought about writing. Mm-hmm. And so, now I feel, like, even more privileged to have read it and, like, shared this because it's just, <laughs> it's just, like... It's amazing that this was the book that showed you because I think you're exactly right. Like reading this, it actually reminded me of the red herring conversation we had about the voices in your head that tell you not to write and kind of the epiphany that I had that maybe I would have had sooner had I read this book earlier about treating writing just as kind of a fun zany experiment and that I've looked into some of Sarah Gailey's other works. And ju- mm-hmm. it just feels like that's what it is to them. Like, they're just, they're like, what yeah. if this happened? It's it just like, it's just this explosion of fun. And, but it isn't, I think, again, sometimes people think that if you're writing a fun book, you're not writing a book that has like any sort of deeper core storytelling or an interesting thing to say. It kind of reminds totally. me of, <laughs> of, I was listening to a review of this book. And someone was saying that it's like it's almost better than it has a right to be because the concept is so (laughs) like absurd and silly. So when they went into it, the reviewer was expecting, I think, maybe subpar quality writing or just like much more in your face mustache twirling, which isn't to say that there aren't in your face tropes. But I don't think they were expecting it to be sure. executed with the kind of finesse that Sarah Gailey executed
1: this novella. Yeah, yeah, well, that's one of the things, too, that I think is it It felt deeper than just, yo, you can write about anything, although that was a big part of that realization for me. But it also felt like, you know, the classic take the writer out of the writing Advice that I think we all hear if you ever try to write a thing, right, is mm-hmm. to kill your darlings, right? That those sentences that you write that you're just like, look at that, look at that, it's so pretty, I made such a nice sentence, that it's like, get rid of that because that's going to distract from the flow. You know, you're going to have the reader sit there and go, oh, nicely done, author, and they're going to stop paying attention to your story in the same way. You're going to disrupt the experience. And like most writing advice i don't think that that's mm. never the right thing to do and i don't think it's always the right thing to do i think it very much you know you 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 take those kinds of hard and fast rules so that you can think about them and be like hmm what purpose is this beautiful sentence serving is it furthering my story or is it just you know me trying to like stunt on this paragraph you know like there's a there's there's a difference there but i feel like that was there was so much just like What a beautifully constructed Mm. image, right? Like there was a lot of, there were a lot of things that I underlined in here um, talking about, you know, sometimes like very like mundane things too. Like I think there was a particular moment, we have a really awful character uh, who's meant to be awful, an awful person, Calhoun Hotchkiss, who um, in some of his final moments is very drunk and at a gambling table while someone is trying to pull him away. And the description is that he like he like hits the table to demand another card and then his gaze uh, swims up to the dealer. I was like, yes, that that what a beautiful description of like when you're drunk and (laughs) trying to look up from something like that's that's lovely articulation. And somehow, because so much of the book was, I mean, it was all treated with this, like, rhetorical finesse. But there were definitely, like, descriptions, moments of, of dialogue where you were like, you wrote, I see you wrote this whole conversation mm. to set up this joke. And thank you for it, because it's hilarious. <laughs> I adore it. Um, but you also, you could totally see, like, I was like, that's a darling. Yeah, you loved that sentence. And you know what? I do, too. And I like that we're here together. And it, it, it. It felt, yeah, like the, the counterpoint, right? To like, yeah, kill your darlings. Sometimes that makes sense. And sometimes make a mm-hmm. whole book of your darlings. Yeah. That's, that's fun. yeah
0: that Yeah. I think, I mean, they've talked about how they didn't expect it to take off the way it did. Like that it was mm-hmm. actually for a lot of people an introduction into their writing. But there are so many moments reading this that I felt like, like I definitely... Growing up, and honestly, even sometimes now, again, I plan those heists in my head. I have all these witty exchanges. I never write them down. Sarah Gailey was like, "No, I will write them down, and it will be delightful and fun." Like, and I, I think also they've talked about how they don't necessarily struggle for inspiration. Like, they don't feel writer's block in that way. And I honestly feel like part of the reason they don't. I might be wrong, I don't know them personally, is um, <laughs> this freedom and this non-judgment of the ideas they come up with. I, it's just like, yeah. the joy in this is, it's just like, it's really remarkable. Like, I, it makes me love it, even, like you said, even the parts that I think had another author put it into the book because it felt like, you know, it's like, all right, this is how the plot goes like by rote almost had they put it into the book. There were probably plot points in the story that I wouldn't have liked otherwise, but because mm-hmm. it just seemed like so much fun the whole time, I didn't have that issue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think there's there's a lot of that, right? I mean, to talk about the heist aspect specifically, right? The I don't I don't think it super makes sense, <laughs> right? Like even just in terms of they're like great We've got we've got the fastest shooter. We've got a mastermind. We've got a demolitions expert. We've got a con woman and and an assassin. Awesome. Our plan is just bombs. Like you don't need anyone except hero yeah. for the original plan. I mean, it turns out later they're like, actually, we needed uh, the you know shitty white guy because he's the only one that's gonna actually get bomb stuff sold to him. Which again, I just love. I love a book that's like gonna take a moment to be like, guys, damn it! We don't have a white guy, what are we gonna do? You know what? We're fine. And just address that part. So delightful. But the actual like in reality, this is a job that apparently Hero could do it basically alone. Like if someone just bought them stuff, Hero would blow up, would blow up the bombs, the hippos would escape. So like, what is everybody else even doing mm-hmm. there? And it's like, well, no, and like eventually you have a moment when like Archie is sussing out uh that you know one of the one of the folks the contract killer who's part of the team is actually a spy because she's like hey what are you actually doing here like what's your part of the plan and it's like yeah also Archie what's <laughs> yours like, what is anybody part of the plan but I don't care I don't care remotely at any point in that story I'm like it's just too much fun when they're talking about the plan. I like the plan they came up with. I like the way it gets twisted on its head by the bad guys. I like the way that they get out of things and the way that it complicates things. And it's delightful. I love every step of it. No, it doesn't super, it's, it doesn't seem like a great, like this is the dream team to pull together to set off bombs. But that also is, like, that's a tremendous thing that, like, I tie myself up in knots whenever it's, like, okay, the characters have to pull a heist or they have to do something complicated where then I'm, like, I don't, I, Dana, don't actually <laughs> know how to do any of that. Is this interesting? Is this cool? And it is fun when writers, like, really go into it and they do the, you know, yeah, the the full Ocean's Eleven thing. of like, clearly every member of this team has a specific purpose and we're going to get their moment. Like, that's a story. And I like those stories too. But it was also really fun to see a different author say, eh, I'm gonna kinda mm-hmm. shrug my shoulders over that part a little bit because yeah. I want a lot more time just having Hounds Tooth and Hero like say things to each other that makes the other one blush because all text has sexy subtext. Like we're just gonna we're gonna spend more time yeah. there because that's more fun. Mm. And I was like, okay, you know what? I love that for, for us. <laughs> I love that for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that it, it was like a, you might pick it up because you think it's a heist revenge story, but you, you yourself get conned because it's actually like this romance story. Um, it's really, like, it's really about the characters. The heist, I mean, the mm-hmm. heist itself doesn't even happen until, like, the back end of the story, and the majority of time while you're heading over there, like, there's not a lot of clarity on what the heist will look like or anything, which... To a degree, I feel like, is part of a high story. Like, you don't fully know the plan until the plan is executed, and that's how you find out that it was masterminded. Masterminded? Is that? Yeah. I guess that's fine. Sounds Um, right. (laughs) Yeah, good enough. Um, But, yeah, Sarah Gailey seemed so much more interested in just exploring the kind of motivations of these characters and having them work out cross-purposes like there were two things that i thought were really interesting about this book if you're putting it within the heist framework the first is that the actual mastermind the real one that saves the day that has the last minute plan that no one expected where it all works out is not the main character no which is not a typical heist story and the second is that the crew is not a tight-knit band that's like that all is working really, truly working together for the same goal. I mean, part of this you kind of guess from the outset because the way Cal is foreshadowed, you kind of get the sense that he sucks. So you kind of think, okay, this is probably the person that Houndstooth invited on to get revenge on in part. So he's just there to to be like, ha ha ha, now you die. But yeah, like the you know the rest of them, you slowly find out like what their actual motivations are, and you know whether they're being helpful or not.
1: Yeah, truly the only the only pre-existing friendship in this group is uh, Houndstooth and Archie, um, who is also yeah no the characterization in this book is to die for. I truly, like yeah if we if we break it down to the the sentence and paragraph levels, just the way that uh, Houndstooth is introduced, the way that Archie's introduced, the way that Hero's introduced are just masterful. Um, I also love, interesting thing I noticed that is very, very microscopic, where I know we're also talking about a lot of <laughs> macro things right now, They're, all, of, all of their first sentences are negative. Not in terms of like bad, but in terms of like the actual sentence structure. Like The first sentence of this book, right, is Winslow Remington Houndstooth was not a hero. And it's all about him not being a hero. And then the first sentence of Archie's chapter is, nobody suspects the fat lady. And then for Heroes, it's Hero Shackleby didn't read the first letter. It's all about the things that these characters aren't, aren't expected of, don't seem to be, don't engage with. But then like they are just beautiful setups for these delightful characters that, again, you're like, okay, yeah, I love them all. I love them all so much, (laughs) except Cal. But he dies, so as is correct.
0: (laughs) You need one character to kind of not like, I feel like, at all points.
1: And still, his characterization is actually incredible when we first see Cal and it's like, okay, you're like this terrible, awful person who also keeps cheating at, at a gambling den where the punishment for cheating is being thrown into the river so that feral hippos can eat you. Good on you, dude. Have fun.
0: Nothing like being thrown around by some territorial hippos to really, God, it's just,
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah ending already foreshadowed it is just masterful characterization where like it's a novella it's short Mm -hmm. even though yeah you're right like we don't get to a lot of the high stuff until later in the story there's still not that many pages dedicated to who are each Mm -hmm. of these characters but you meet them and then you're like i got you i know who you are and i'm invested in you either as like you know somebody i adore or like I, I really want someone to punch you in the face. Just, oh, someone punch this guy <laughs> in the face. Yeah, I think that's, I
0: was thinking about about this as well, because when, you, when you're writing a novella, you just, you don't have a lot of space for characterization. And so I do feel like yeah. oftentimes, I feel like oftentimes novellas are lacking um, in characterization for that reason. It's just hard to do but you you know you go into a novella knowing and expecting not to receive novel level characterization or novel level plot or novel right. level whatever but i still think it was impressive that they were able to not only establish these characters but also the world and i yeah. think i do think part of it for the characters has a little bit to do with choosing this heist format because you already know the first part is getting the crew together and then within that, you have the typical ar- archetypes of a crew, um, and because the reader is already primed and familiarized with this, these archetypes, it allowed Gailey to then like play with other aspects of their characters, subvert the archetypes a little bit, you know, actually get mm-hmm. some of that depth that perhaps you wouldn't be able to get in a in a book that doesn't that isn't. I guess more archetypal in its plot or world or whatever, if you get what I mean. So, yeah,
1: yeah, no, I think there's, I think, I think it was a really, yeah, a really excellent use of that format. Um, I just realized too that even as we're talking about the incredible amount of characterization that goes on for a fairly large list of you know main characters for a novel mm-hmm. so short, they also all have hippos yeah. who are incredible. <laughs> I love the hippos. I, my life for Ruby or Rosa, Ruby I, oh, darlings. And, and they're used to further each other, right? Like I think one of my favorite uh, early characterizations of Houndstooth, right, is we see Houndstooth like putting his hippo Ruby, uh, you know, in this little pond next to, you know, the the inn he's staying at and he's just like, all right, Roo, Ruby, Ruby, like, uh, you know, settling her in for the night and, um, and then, like, describes specifically her gold plated tusks. Mm-hmm. And immediately, <laughs> this is clarifying, like, okay, uh, you know, this, this Houndstooth is a man who likes and earns a fair bit of change mm-hmm. and also loves this hippo enough to, like, spend it on just. Absolutely just decorative, like buying your hippo some jewelry. There's a sweetness in that and also such like a showy peacocky thing that you're like, all of these things are like integral hounds tooth qualities, right? That he's kind of a scoundrel, but he's also like a like very big softy and also just such a like flashy dude. You're like, okay, there's so much that you get from just like, ruby has gold-plated tusks and houndstooth put them there (laughs) that's part of what's great about
0: having i think in some ways they're not really foils to the characters but having like the characters have sidekicks or pets or something that they Mm -hmm. care about because you can stuff in so much characterization with just how they interact with them
1: yeah which i yeah i think like that's an impressive It's still a thing that I I get very impressed by, too, because obviously, like, it can be this incredible tool to add characterization to each other, right? You can Mm -hmm. do a lot of characterization of the hippo and houndstooth and have them feed into each other. Mm -hmm. But so often when I I have tried to, like, add characters that are, you know, companions, whether they're animal companions or nine-year-old boys destined to be eaten by hippos only a couple chapters uh, further in... Um, I it often just ends up feeling overwhelming where I'm like damn I gave myself someone else to characterize <laughs> and this is hard but I feel like yeah like there's a lot there's a lot to learn from this novella about giving people like really like deep fleshed out interesting characterization in very few words mm-hmm. I mean I yeah alluding to the character of Neville who is in fact this like kid he signs on to help Archie brush the hippo's teeth which is the cutest thing in the world and is like very dedicated has like this one scene where he's integral and hilarious and then you know goes to try to call the nice hippo over to brush his teeth and gets eaten barely there dude is really only in a chapter and a half Mm. but i feel like i i was sad when neville died because i Cared about this character and I had a sense of who this kid was. And and you're right. I think a lot of it is sort of using those archetypes in a lot of ways to like, boom, slot in the like main outlines of here's what you expect. And here are the ways that we're going to complicate that and flesh that out and color that in, um, in a way that, yeah, lets you do some really cool stuff in very few words. Yeah.
0: I think the struggle with companions sometimes is, um, when you're trying to do that, is finding a purpose for them as well.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: I think that's part of my struggle. Like, sometimes I'll introduce a companion because I think it's just cool.
1: Yeah. And
0: then I'm like, but why? Like, why are they there? <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, so it just feels, I think that that is another challenge. And going back to the example of Neville, again, he's, he shows you very quickly, like, Okay, yes, Rosa will con everyone, but she also, you know, it's the classic con person who secretly has a little bit of a a, heart, a soft heart. Um, or so Archie she... will. Oh, gosh. Yes, Archie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Excuse Look, me. Look, I bet Rosa
1: would con people, too, but she's it's a little harder as a hippo to <laughs> yeah, yeah. run
0: cons. Um, uh, Rosa cons the other hippos. That's in my head <laughs> canon. Rosa has yep. been observing Archie, you know. Anyway, yeah. um, yes, Archie. Uh, so – you know, you're, you get that immediate early thing, and also what Neville as a character shows you is, like, the da- the real danger. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's because if you think about it, if the author is willing to kill off a kid in this novella, you know, who else could die? I think it makes it... It, it maybe makes you think there's more of a chance that other characters could die. Although, I was thinking about whether or not it... Made me actually worry that Hero would be dead, but I was like, no, no, Sarah Gailey wouldn't do this. To- I think, I don't think it's that. <laughs> I don't think it's that necessarily has anything to do with how Sarah Gailey executed it or, like, the effectiveness of using Neville's death to, like, communicate the danger. I think it's more just that if there is, like, a romantic pairing that I am interested in, I will delude myself to, like, no ends that they will survive. No matter how often the author is like, Uh "Hey, they're going to die. I'm like, no. They're going to be fine. Yeah, I'm
1: like I'm... they're gonna be together, and they're gonna be happy, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, It's like me, I pretend I do not see it. Um, <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, hero's not dead. Hero can't be dead, and then sure enough, they weren't. But you know,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too. That's another part of it that um, was also really fun, and I think you know, part of part of another kind of thing I've been trying to learn and grow more into as a writer. Is that I don't know if you've had uh, this same sort of trajectory or not, but I realized many years ago that I was like, huh, why am I only writing about beautiful things, mm-hmm. things that I think are beautiful, mm-hmm. right, in one way or another. And there's lots of different kinds of things that are beautiful, but like every place my characters go is cool and beautiful. All the characters are cool and beautiful in different ways. Um not wanting to write things that are mundane or grotesque mm. or, and not really engaging with that side of it. And part of it also being that like a lot of genres that really do that well have not been my favorite genres to write in or to read in, right? Like if you're looking for some really like great images of like grotesquery, you go to horror, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe even sometimes comedy that were <laughs> like different kinds of grotesque and like neither of those have been genres that i was like oh yeah this is my thing right um but i feel like in the past several years i've been trying to embrace like yeah but sometimes like horror stuff is kind of cool right like it it's really sad that neville dies but a hippo just bit him in half is kind of cool I don't it's like it's dark it's it's not but it is it is compelling in that way that a lot of times like horror can be Mm -hmm. and I feel like especially I mean that's half the appeal right of like a title like river of teeth you're like I'm getting into something right (laughs) and I feel like it definitely you were talking about yeah Sarah Gailey I love them I have I'm working on reading all of their stuff they are so freaking prolific prolific yeah. that I'm I'm. despite being such a committed completist as a person I'm still not there yet but I think you can see in a lot of their work which does cross a lot of genres mm. too um, that there often is this, this fascination with the delight and the joy but not in terms of always being light hearted also in terms of like we're just gonna run into the thing that is interesting here and sometimes that thing is Let's have these two characters flirt and then they get to their hotel room and they're like, what are we going to do? There's only one bed. <laughs> and sometimes it means what's the most horrifying, but like can't look away from it, like disturbing, violent thing that could happen here. And it it was it was it's been interesting to read just because like as a writer realizing like, oh, I'm interested in that. That's not something I've really ever tried to write before, but I do find that compelling and interesting as a reader when it's done in like a thoughtful way, which mm. so that's that's how Sarah Gailey does it when they write violence and when they write these kinds of horror elements. And it's, it's definitely been very eye-opening to me in terms of like, yeah, like bend genre stuff and like to feel free to just like go hard at the thing that is pulling you in mm. N- it's not necessarily going to lead to just a lighthearted romp, right? I mean, a lot of this is a lighthearted romp, but at one part, a kid gets just chomped up by a hippo in two seconds flat, right? I don't think you could call anything a lighthearted romp entirely no. when that also happens. <laughs> and a lot, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad shit that goes down, and that's, but that's all. It somehow all still feels tonally on the same page because it's really all following this driving force of what's what's interesting to the writer Mm. or at least that's what it feels it just feels like basically yeah you're just on a journey through you know the passion the id I don't know there's a lot of different probably more articulate ways to phrase what I'm trying to say but I feel like I don't know I feel like we're vibing does that make sense yeah no it totally (laughs) makes sense
0: yeah and I think also maybe to your to your point um or building upon your point it seems like it's not just that Sarah Gailey wants to run into kind of what is most interesting from this, like, in your face plot perspective, uh, but also I think some of the underlying ideas that they try to explore in their work. To me, it sometimes it often feels like I've read some of their other work, like they have a pretty clear vision of what they're trying to say um, and the yeah. ideas they're trying to explore And I know from listening to one of their interviews that they don't this is sometimes it's kind of retroactive where again, you're writing and then you realize later, but it does seem like other times they're pitching and they have this, this very clear idea of something that they're trying to say. And also the Mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, the the world that they want to build their audience, I think they have a very clear vision of who that is like this book is unapologetically queer for example and that's I don't even know if like saying that it's a purposeful decision makes it sound like you know I don't know it, d- it doesn't quite hit at what they're doing I mean don't get me wrong I think some of it is purposeful but it's more that like it's their experience as a queer person you know so they're telling the stero- story through that lens for that reason Um, but it's also something they actively cultivate, which I think is where the purposeful part comes in. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was looking at some other, you know, they did an AMA and they were talking about how they were reading about, um, oh, how was it phrased? Narrative ableism, I believe. And, Mm. um, they kind of talked a little bit about that experience in a later interview, it's saying that, you know, I am disabled, but I, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't think that I could write from that lens. Like I didn't, you know, so now I'm consciously working on learning about the different lenses with which we write about disability, and how to write about, Mm -hmm. write about disability, I guess, not even necessarily authentically, but you know, centered on or centered from the perspective of a disabled person instead of like from the outside view of an able bodied person. Because I think Sarah Gailey, to me, it seems from having listened to their interviews cares about so much about people Mm -hmm. that that translates to their writing. And that's part of the reason why their writing is as good as it is, honestly
1: yeah well i think very much to what you're saying i think sometimes it's hard to find the language for it because honestly most of our language about intentionally telling stories about marginalized groups whether we're talking queer folks disabled folks people of color whoever uh most of the language we have for doing that on purpose Mm -hmm. is either very academic Mm. or very negative right it's either like forced diversity or like well academically i wanted to include a character like this because we need representation in I don't know why I'm saying that in like a silly voice because that is important and there's a lot of there's a lot of reason to be like I'm intentionally making this character this way because I think we need to have more you know bi characters Mm -hmm. in a story but there's still something then different about I mean we've talked about this feels like it's queerness that comes from a place Mm -hmm. of joy it comes from like yes everybody's queer House is bi, hero's non-binary, Archie's gender fluid. We kind of hinted, I think I think I think Adelia uh, seems at least a little bi, talks about possibly getting this baby another mother. Like there's it's just queer for fun. It's it's and I mean for fun, again, I think actually still undercuts it. This is a hard thing to find the right yeah. language for. But it's 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 queer from a place of delight it's queer from a place of joy it's it it comes from a place of like yes these are the these are characters i want to talk about these are the people that i'm going to do this for and of course you know again like writing (laughs) writing stories as a marginalized person there is a lot of intention and i think a sense of like these stories need to be told because you're not just writing the story of your heart you're writing a story that really doesn't exist for a lot of people in terms of representing these characters and you're 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 fighting you're fighting to take up space that has been denied for so long and still is denied in in so many different spaces in media spaces i don't know that we ever fully can like separate that from that like desire to like this is for mm. representation but also like this is just for this is just cuz i'm queer and this is the story i want to write and like we're not gonna we're not going to allow there to be weirdness about that in any way. This isn't forced diversity. Everyone's queer because I want yeah. them to be. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. We're done. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing. And I think there's... It's 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 rare to read a story that feels that way. And, I mean, again, like, there's definitely... You could find some Goodreads reviews from people who were not Woof. happy about it. And, I mean, for sure. But, like, yeah. that's That's... Such is the case. And it was really fun because I think... I've seen it's funny actually hearing i hadn't I hadn't heard that interview about uh, where where they talked about narrative ableism. But I have seen them talk before about a journey that they went on related to mm. queerness and trying to discover that they could write queer characters who had happy endings and happy lives um, because that was that was something that they struggled with for a while was just, I mean, there are so many, right? There are so many cases. This is why we talk about like the barrier gaze mm. trope that like, oh yeah, there's a queer character here, but of course they die. Of course the person they're in love with dies. Of course they can't ever actually be happy. Um, and, And you pair things like that, which really suck, with then the fact of so often writing queer stories or other marginalized stories, end up just by virtue of the fact that the world sucks, carrying the extra weight of trying to undo bigotry right and and needing to like address that and like carry that mm. and like let's show you know we have to show the bigotry so we can show this character overcoming it and those are important stories mm-hmm. too like i do believe that all of these kinds of stories are necessary but it can be really hard to find a story that you can just enjoy as a queer person be like <laughs> everybody here's like me oh god it's it's great and it's not that there are no bigots we very specifically have you know cal's character is in there and, and very, you know, it, at little points, like pokes at each of them for being queer, for being fat, for being a person of color. He does all of that, but they are very small things. There's no, there's no slurs <laughs> that I can remember that are like actually explicitly in this book. There's little moments where you're like, I know what he's fucking getting yeah. at. And everyone smacks him down and then he dies. And everyone's uh. like, we're not that <laughs> sad about it. And we yeah. move on. And it's awesome because yeah there's there's it's it's hard to find representation for for you know more marginalized groups and and you know hopefully those are all things that are moving in forward directions in terms of improving that representation but i think even more it's it's hard to find like this 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 felt like a book that was written not to Teach non queer people that it was okay to be queer, but just so that like queer folks mm. could read it and have a good time, and the non queer folks could read it and have a good time. But like, there was like, hey, this is a book mm. I wrote because I enjoy it and I'm queer, and probably other queer people are gonna have a good time.
0: Yeah, I think that's again, that's one of the best parts of the story.
1: I was trying to remember how mm. I first heard about this book because, again, like, it's not in a genre that I typically read. I'm not even hundred percent sure which genre it's in, but <laughs> it's not it's not the kind of stuff that I certainly at the time was reading. Um, and I, I think it must have been on Twitter either like following a writer that they were also friends with mm. who retweeted them. either either it was them talking specifically about hippos and about this actual literal history that, like, did not become real history. By virtue of like just a couple votes, by somebody saying, "Hey Congress, hippos are actually super vicious. <laughs> They're not river right. cows. This this could be real dangerous." Um, it was either that or, but it was it was. Anyway, i sort of I've sort of lost my thread now, even just while talking. But I think like. Uh, I, for, I, I follow them on Twitter and see a lot of their delightful things, but I haven't seen a lot of, like, mm. their writing process. Or, yeah, I, I think there's also... The only other thing that I've seen them do a lot, but I think speaks a little bit to what you were saying about um, their world building, is that they actually do a series about this. I, I subscribe to their uh, newsletter, um, and they've been doing a series that specifically is about... Um, world building and where like they offer some jumping off points and questions to like different people um different people that they know different friends or sometimes writers but sometimes not sometimes just other creative or interesting people they know Mm -hmm. and it'll be you know like literally presenting with a thing right or like some sort of you know capitalized word what is the trial and guiding people through coming up with, and you'll see two different people come up with two totally different things, but fleshing out this world building in a really interesting way. Yeah. Which I think shows to, speaks to, I think what you were talking about, this like creative freedom that they've embraced. But I haven't, I haven't really heard them talk much about like their actual writing process. Um, And I'm so glad that you always come prepared with this information. It's one
0: of my favorite things to do, honestly. (laughs) Uh, Part of the reason why they love writing It's because they just love to learn things Um, and that again it's evident in their world building because there are just like little details where they clearly thought about like how would this change you know the expansion of the united states how would this change like what kind of infrastructure projects it's just like those little details are what makes the world um right okay so their writing process Parts of it, to me, sound a little bit bananas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do know that they're... Uh, part of the reason why they're so prolific is because they're just, like, constantly doing it all the time. Because they love it so much, which mm-hmm. is great. So they set up a spreadsheet that tracks how, how many words they need to write each day to reach a deadline they have incremental progress goals and also they they're like definitely a planner they outline a lot so they said they plan out their chapters and plot beats and it sounds like they even like plan out like down to like how many chapters it'll have and like how to break up the story so it hits that many chapters they said that they target lengths for their books by dividing my total target length or by dividing their total target length for the book by the number of chapters they've decided on what you've just decided on the number of chapters. (laughs) Like what is happening? Like if I want a book to be novel length and I want it to have 27 chapters, I've clearly switched back into i whatever. Um, because that's how I've outlined the plot and I assume I'm going to add at least 5k words in each revision. I'll shoot for like 3,300 words per chapter. Scenes just kind of go how they go. Like, like this sounds like a whole math problem. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what the funny thing is? Okay, I'm having some moments here. Uh-huh. Um, okay, go uh, for it. Some, go for some it. possibly some possible realizations for that. Hopefully, we'll see if they're helpful for me. Um, I love plotting and planning. I definitely have spreadsheets that have like chapter breakdowns. But usually, it's not because I decided in advance there's gonna be X chapters. It's because I'll sit down and write some outlines. Then I'll be like, "How do I think I want to break up these scenes into chapter format?" And I'll like think mm-hmm. through that, um, so that and I and I definitely don't go to the level of word count because that I feel like I still don't really have a sense of how many words is a thing, yeah. and I trying to like assess that usually if anything just stresses me out. Granted. You and I have talked about how long my novel project is. So it's probably something I could get better at is uh, thinking about word counts. But I was just thinking about, um, you know, when when I was talking about like where I'm at with writing right now and how I'm like trying to figure out uh, what is the like right discipline or structure that I want to put on my writing now. Part of the reason that I feel like I'm in that mode. I think we talked before I signed up for. Uh, a writing workshop to write uh, a Dungeons and Dragons one-shot mm-hmm. adventure, which was really fun. And the the workshop was specifically, it was one month. They had specific like word count targets, not to say that you couldn't or shouldn't go over, but to just give you a sense of like, because for many people, including myself, this was their first time attempting to write something like that. Like, hey, general sense, you want your whole thing to be about, I think it was like 3,000 words. And, like, different subcategories of it. And that was mostly what the structure was that was assigned. It was, like, you had some templates. You had some guidelines there. Um, you had, you know, there were lessons each day that would, like, give you exercises that would help inform stuff. But it's not like they said, okay, today you write this section. Today you write this section. But you had those things. And it worked really well for me. Like, not only did I, like, do the thing in a month when I was like, eh, that's not usually my process, right? My process usually takes yeah. a lot longer. But I, I did it, I liked it, and I felt really motivated to work mm. on it. I worked on it a lot more than I thought I was going to because I was just constantly jazzed about it. And it's reminding me of, like, you know, we talk about, I feel like a lot of times we're talking about, like, what what are the ingredients, what are the environmental factors that you need to create in order to like really embrace your creativity right and we've talked a lot about like getting rid of some of those like shame impulses is really important but sometimes it's limitations yeah right sometimes we get creative because someone says you know i i did a writing exercise once that was like okay you're gonna rewrite this chapter you wrote once before but without the letter a i was like what And it was really fun and some real... I was really proud of the writing that came out of it. And it was the weirdest, most arbitrary nonsense restriction. But it made me get creative in a way that I didn't before. So now I'm like, damn, is that... Should I just decide a number of chapters and see? And like, heck, maybe having a word count goal would be good. Also so that then like... I mean, maybe, right, you set the word count goal and then you're like, actually, this chapter is about half as long. Cool. That's... You know what? Sometimes we we set goals and targets not so that we can turn in the, you know, perfect draft, but so that we can have something to shoot for, something to guide us, something to act as a restriction, but that we can also say, "Yeah, look, I know I said 2000 and it's 2200, we're fine." That's fine. We're just going to That's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm kind of tempted to try it might be totally batty but I'm sort of tempted to try that and see if that doesn't help me find that like (laughs) I don't know channel some of my type a nonsense into something that into creativity right because usually like I can do my type a nonsense for non-creative stuff but it usually feels stifling Mm. for creative stuff
0: yeah I wonder if it's partly because all my type a nonsense is like what I do at work like, I have to be extremely type A at work, so it almost feels like, you know, an extension of work, but when I think about it, like, I think some of these things are actually useful because, to me, they feel like those tasks that you can do at the beginning of a project that aren't essential, but will make your life a lot easier later on, but require a lot of front-loading, and that's part of the reason why it's so hard to, like, do them. Um but i also i kind of want to issue a challenge now that you've explored this i kind of want you to turn your romance idea into a novella it's like asking you to do a novel is a lot but a novella feels maybe more achievable using this method
1: i'm well <laughs> i'm at least part way there because i've already done a lot of outlining which i hear you on outlining being hard but also um i definitely file it away as like that counts as writing yeah but it it doesn't feel as scary sometimes when I'm scared about starting a project. So yeah, I might, I might try that. I've been that's that's been sort of the next longer term project that I want to start is this romance novel, perhaps novella idea. Um, but it has been it has been very challenging for me to like, okay, I'm gonna do it now mm. instead of just like I've done a lot of thinking about it. I feel very prepared in a lot of ways, but not prepared enough. But that might be a good way to like let's set some let's set some chapter limitations let's set some word count limitations, and then maybe I'll feel empowered to like. But I can see there's gonna be this many chapters, so I'm clearly this far through, and use that as a motivator instead of like something else.
0: I think it's also hmm, setting these limitations even if they're kind of absurd i think is also a really good way to break out of the this story needs to be good slash perfect slash important slash you know whatever because now yeah. you're just like well i have this random limitation i'm just trying to see if i can do it like i'm not trying to do anything more than that
1: yeah now i'm now i'm not just like i need to write this this scene or this chapter and have it be amazing it's like okay I need to write a chapter that does X, Y, Z, and I've got this many words to do it. And it starts to like, I feel like that channels into maybe less of the type A stuff, but more of like the puzzle part of my brain. And I love Mm. the puzzle part gets really jazzed, right? I love jigsaw puzzles. I rarely take breaks from them. It's a problem because (laughs) I like often actually messes with my sleep schedule because I'm like, why sleep? There's puzzle. Which is a different thing I should work on. But it <laughs> would be <laughs> potentially useful when trying to be like, Why can't I write? Why when I, why am I struggling to find motivation? It's like, okay, can I turn this into a puzzle? Because my brain really mm-hmm. loves to like latch onto those and get like really motivated to like do the thing. So maybe that would help us just the like, well, I gotta solve this puzzle. Can I do that in two thousand words? Yeah. I will accept your challenge, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yes, accept it. You accepting my challenge makes me think of another red herring. Part of what I struggle with sometimes with outlines, like I hear a lot of writers talk about scenes and beats, and I kind of understand them. But when I like people are like, you should plot it out scene, scene by scene, beat by beat. And I'm just like, this seems like I don't, I don't feel like I fully have a grasp on how those are broken down. Like I intuitively understand Mm -hmm. story structure because I've read so much. But I don't think I have a full understanding of that definition. Yep. And there is a a method of writing called the story grid that really hyper focuses on that. So I, I'm kind of wondering if maybe for our next Red Herring, we should just like do some writing experiments using these different methodologies. Ooh, I really like that. Months. Yes. Oh, yeah, great. yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I mean um, like and I I love outlining and coming up with like scenes, but at the same time, like I still don't even feel super comfortable like people will talk about like a three act structure and I'm like I mean, yeah. I know what that is. I understand it academically, but it like only feels loose I've only really loosely been able to like later be like, Does this fit into a three act structure? Kinda and I'm like this could be a useful tool, but I don't really know how to use it, or if if it works for me or not. <laughs> right, right. I think it's sort of like it's
0: not that I necessarily want to replicate the three act structure exactly, but I want to understand it so I can
1: break it more intentionally. Um, yeah, that sort of use thing. it as a tool, or abandon it like a tool that doesn't work for you. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's exactly it. I know that we're reaching the end of our our podcast episode. So I just want to ask, is there anything that you really took away? Is there something that you want to kind of end on that you want to talk about? Um,
1: I mean, I really think that, uh, it, it's the thing that we we've, we've, we've been talking about the whole time really is that like, this is a book that said to me, bring your whole self to this and don't feel weird about it mm. you know and that that's important from a you know writer inserting the tropes that you like and also important you know as a queer person to be like oh you could just write the story where everybody's queer and having a good time oh oh yeah i can do that and i don't have to feel like like it might be bad because i like it yeah you know that it might be poor writing because it's me um, and and realizing instead, like, if the thing here was that I just liked stories and I just wanted other people to write stories, I could just be a reader. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, with saying, like, that's what I do. I like to enjoy other people's stories. But I, I want to write because I want my own stories to exist. And it's a very weird thing that I feel like we get stuck into a feeling like somehow somehow we know we want to tell our own stories, but we also feel... Weird or guilty or bad about that, or like somehow the reason that our writing isn't good is because of us. Mm. And this felt like such a freeing, this was just such a freeing book to read of like, yeah, maybe my writing isn't where I want it to be yet, but that's not because I am bad and putting myself into it is bad. That's because I have work to do, I have growing to do. And I'm certainly not going to do that by trying to avoid putting myself in here and exploring the things that i'm actually excited about that's gonna be how i actually get myself to write and get myself to practice and grow is by just jumping in head first with you know what would be fun (laughs) you know what would be cool what if like that's the headspace that i want to be in Mm -hmm. and yeah this this for me like that to me is the like huge takeaway from this yeah in addition to the fact that um hippos are dope They're, they're so fun.
0: They're so cool. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think also the, so fun fact kind of related to that is, uh, Sarah Gailey, uh, referred to Houndstooth repeatedly as a self-insert character. So I think that Uh Sarah Gailey Uh not only puts themselves into the book on kind of a, a broader scale through the lens of which the story was told, but also like literally, and this, this also kind of reminds me of how um i think part of the reason sometimes we think we can't insert ourselves is because readers who are criticizing a book they don't like one of the things they'll say is oh this is a self-insert character and i think some of it is that yeah. readers who do not obsessively research writers the way i do um don't realize <laughs> don't realize that authors often put self inserts in in a variety of ways. Um again, an author is always present mm-hmm. in their story. And also yeah. what they're really criticizing is just, you know, a character that maybe doesn't have a full arc or or something like that.
1: Um yeah. Yeah, usually we say self insert and we mean a character who is flawless or to whom all the good and awesome things happen mm-hmm. and you're like, "Yeah, well that's not I mean, I think those are often also self insert characters, but the thing that's wrong, or forget wrong, not that good about them is not the fact that they're self inserts. It's the fact that the character wasn't interesting, didn't develop, didn't yep. struggle, didn't, yep. you know. Yep.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one other fun fact that I maybe want to end on um, maybe not so fun for Sarah when they were experiencing it, but. Something that I think would be good for us to take away, when they first started writing, they gave it to a writer friend for whom they had been beta reading, and the writer friend responded with basically like, "I think you should stick with what you're good at," which, ugh. Uh, yeah, they did say they're no longer friends with this person, which makes me very happy. Yeah. If anyone, if you uh-huh. give your writing to anyone and they say that to you, send them to me. Just send them to me. I'm not, yeah. I won't elaborate on what
1: will happen, but send it, send them we to just, me. We just, we just want to talk. A
0: conversation. Uh, just talk. Just, just a, a little, just a little just conversation. a one-on-one conversation. Off Ugh. the record. Ugh. Yeah, so they were garbage. um, But the interviewer asked them you know like when you know did you stop writing for a while like what happened and they were like yeah i stopped writing for about six months but then i started again and the next story i wrote the next story i wrote was published i uh, which like i think about how i might have react if i had a writer friend whom i respected a lot say something like that to me i don't know if i would have bounced back that fast but because I think partly because they were viewing writing as just such a fun thing, they were just seeing if they could do, like they were able to kind of have that resilience and that tenacity, which I think mm-hmm. is very admirable. So if anyone says some garbage thing like that to you, Sarah Gailey also heard that they seem to be doing just fine.
1: <laughs> this tracks because I have seen them tweet about like, in, in when occasionally people are like, you know retweet if your career is based out of spite and you're like people are like yeah my success comes from trying to spite somebody who was an asshole to me um but yeah i mean there's just something silly about that too in terms of um if you want to write and i think this is true across all creative endeavors but i i I feel stronger about being able to speak to writing if you want to write you should Mm -hmm. write you know like it it if that is a desire that fills you and motivates you, you should do the writing. Maybe you try to get stuff published, maybe you don't, maybe you find tremendous uh, you know, financial success in it, maybe you don't. But the idea that the solution to any problem is like, don't write, I just don't, I fundamentally don't understand. Mm. Because if if I could know right now that nothing I wrote going forward would be published, I would still keep writing because it brings me a tremendous amount of joy. Because there are stories that I want to exist, even if they don't get to exist in whatever the, you know, publication space is that would be ideal in my mind. Like, that's... And I... I, Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm angry about that now. That's, That's the thing I'm angry about. I... Writing is good, creativity is good, it's good for us, even if like, even if that's all it's good for. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good and valuable thing all on its own. And also, if it's good for you, there's, I still do believe whether or not you're able to jump through all the weird hoops put up between, you know, the creator and the way to reach people who want to enjoy your stuff, to read your work, there's 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 people who probably need the stuff that you need to exist
0: so i think if you're if you're out there you're listening to us uh that's that's something we want you to take away and um there's no excuse if you love writing go do it you know what are you doing listening to us go write your story (laughs) i mean please
1: continue listening to us but also write your story (laughs) If outlining and mood boards is writing, then uh, listening to something that makes you feel like you can go write also counts as writing. Um, I will die on this hill, so. (laughs) (laughs) You said it in a much better way than I said it. Really, I think we just hope that you're
0: taking some encouragement and inspiration from this podcast and you leave feeling like you want to write. And so, of course, thank you so much for wandering with us today on Working Title um if you've read river of teeth if you have thoughts that you want to share you can always find us on twitter at work pod that's at work pod thanks so much bye